Good morning, church. Wherever you're gathered today, whoever you're with, I'm so grateful that you've tuned in as we continue with our RSVP series. The thing that I love the most about the name of this series is that it implies that we're all invited. You know, God isn't like that girl in high school who invited everyone else to the party but left you out. She's not that or he's not, I should say, that girlfriend who dumped you or that baseball coach who cut you from the team, but we're all invited. Are you grateful about that? I'm so grateful. I'll never forget uh, my junior year of high school. I had spent hours and hours in the theater program from my freshman year on and started off as like a backstage hand and then I got a walk-on part. And then finally my junior year at Jamestown High School, I was cast as the lead role in Our Town, which was our fall production. And I loved every second of it. So then it came time for our spring musical, and I'll never forget that moment. It came down to me and this one other girl, and our director had us both stand up on the stage, and we took turns, and we were in front of so many people that were auditioning. This was probably day three of our auditions. And he had me sing first, and then he had her sing. And then in front of everybody, he chose her. And I remember having to like stuff down that feeling of rejection. All I wanted to do was cry, but I was in front of so many people and I had to just accept the fact that I wasn't chosen. And the thing about God is we've all been chosen. We all have an open invitation and we've probably all had moments of rejection. And we put that sometimes on our relationship with God and assume that God's the same way, that other people we see that are blessed or are doing things for God, maybe he chose them more than he chose me, but you've been invited, I've been invited. And there's really only one criteria. I wanna read to you as we kind of jump in this morning, Second Chronicles 16, nine, I'm just gonna read it to you, it says, for the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth so that he may support those whose heart is completely his. That's the only criteria, that your heart is completely his. I wanna give you some context though. Maybe you've heard that verse before, but I think it's important to know where it comes from. So real quickly, are you ready for a little story time? I always like a good story, but basically in this chapter in the Old Testament, there's three characters. There's King Asa, he's uh, the righteous king of Judah. He's already been reigning for about 36 years at this point. He was a God-fearing man, a good king, but he started to make some bad deci decisions. And then there's Basha, I'm not sure I'm saying his name right, king of Israel. And the third character is Hanani, who was a prophet. And in those days, the prophets were the voice of God. People didn't hear directly from God. The prophets acted as the appointed people to speak what God had to say. So in this passage, what was happening was Basha, the king of Israel, was coming up against Asa, king of Judah. All right, and, and Asa, instead of going to God with this problem, he reached out to a nearby king, the king of Syria, and he said, hey, if you will help me defeat this Israelite king, then I'm gonna give you gold and silver from our treasuries of the house of God, which Asa should never have done. He should never have gone and given God's treasures to the, to the people of, of Judah to this foreign king, but he did. And his plan worked, and the Syrian king helped him defeat uh, King Basha. But what happened after that is that Hanani the prophet comes to him as the voice of God, and he said, why have you done this? 
God would have given you the victory and he would have given you the king of Syria as well. But instead, because you didn't rely on the Lord, but you relied on yourself, you've given that all away. And then it comes to the verse I read to you that I'm going to read again. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth so that he may support those whose heart is completely his, those who will be completely dependent on him. You're invited. God wants to do great things in your life, through your life, in my life, through my life. I believe that by faith. The only criteria is not how talented you are, what you look like, or what you can accomplish on your own, but is your heart completely his. Those are the people that God, as his word says, can support. So as we continue our time together this morning, I want you to go ahead and pause the video and have someone in your community group, or if you're by yourself, that's fine too. Take a moment to read 1 Corinthians 13, which is our text for this series aloud, and we'll be back in just a moment. So we're going to jump in at verse 4. So last week we heard about the second part of verse 4, which says that love does not envy or boast. And this week we're going to take on that third portion of verse 4 that simply says this, love is not arrogant or rude. So the beginning of the this chapter, the love chapter, the groundwork is being laid that it doesn't matter what amazing things you do, what you accomplish, or how spiritual you may seem. If you don't have love, it says you don't have anything. You're like a loud noise. You're, you're like a, a distracting, obnoxious noise. That's what it says. So we know that as the groundwork. And then he goes on to talk about what love is. Love is patient, love is kind, and many other things, as well as what love isn't. And this is a pretty straightforward verse. Love is not arrogant or rude. But I want to unpack it a little bit by defining those two words. So hang with me. We're going to put on a little like school learning cap real quick for a moment. Um, arrogant means having an exaggerated sense of one's own importance or abilities stemming from believing that you are better, smarter, or more important than other people. Let that sink in for a moment. Rude is defined as offensively impolite or ill-mannered, not showing concern or respect for the rights and feelings of other people. Now, if you're like me, you might hear these definitions and immediately think of somebody. For me, actually, I think of social media in general, which I think is like the breeding ground of arrogance and rudeness. But I'm not preaching on that this morning, so we're gonna keep moving. What I do want to point out is that the exact opposite, if I had to pick one thing that's the opposite of arrogant or rude, I would say it's humility. So I want to talk about humility a little bit this morning. Let's define that word. Humility is defined as a modest or low view of one's own importance. Spiritually, it means not just a modest or low view of yourself and stops there, but it actually means a dependence on God. So you have a modest or low view of yourself and what you're capable of, but a very high view and a dependence on God. A modest view of your own importance, an elevated view of God as your source. As we read in John 15, where it says, for without me, you can do nothing. That's humility. Humility doesn't mean that you think you're worthless or invaluable. It's not a lack of confidence 
but it means that you make God your source and you put your confidence in Him. Simply put, humility is dependence on God, knowing that your life is not your own and everything you have, everything you accomplish comes from Him and is for His glory. Let me just read a few statements for you. Let them sink in. Humility is preferring others over yourself. Humility is knowing that in one small decision, you could destroy your whole life just like anyone else. Humility is knowing that you're not immune to sin or failure. Humility is living as if your life is not your own. Humility is dependence on God, not government, money, success, people's opinions, or anything else that this world has to offer. To flesh out the difference between arrogance and humility, I do want to take a moment to compare two people that we see in scripture that I think really make that contrast happen and help us to really absorb what the difference is. What does it look like to live arrogantly? What does it look like to live in humility? So I wanna look at the lives real quickly of Saul and of David in scripture. Now, if you're curious about these accounts, you can read all about this from 1 Samuel 8 all the way through the end of the book. But for the sake of time today, I'm just gonna pull out some highlights. So first of all, we see in 1 Samuel 8 that the people, the children of Israel, God's chosen people had been led for years out of slavery and God was their uh, ruler, God was their leader. He always spoke to them, as I mentioned before, through a prophet, but they didn't have a king. But you see, the children of Israel got jealous of the people around them because they had a king. And I could probably relate to that. It's nice to have someone that you can see who's in charge, right? Somebody that you can talk to, someone to lead you into battle. And so the children of Israel decided they really wanted a king. So they start to to ask for a king. And finally, God relents and he says to Samuel, okay, I'm gonna give them a king. And God chooses Saul to be the king. Now, the Bible says that he looked the part. It says, in fact, word for word, there was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. So Saul was chosen. And not only was he chosen, and he wasn't even chosen because of how he looked, although I'm sure the people approved of God's choice, but um, we see that he has this encounter with God and this equipping that happens. So Saul has, and I won't go into all the details, but basically he has an encounter with with God where he starts to prophesy himself. And it says that that, um, God gave him, these are the words, God gave him another heart, which basically points to God equipped him that day. Side note, God is never gonna ask you to do something or assign you with something and not give you what you need to do it. Isn't that comforting to know? So Saul has this experience with God. He walks away equipped and ready to lead the children of Israel. But again, he's the first king. That must have been pretty intimidating for him. So this happens to Saul. Um, The problem though with Saul was that even though he was invited and he was chosen and even equipped to be king, he made the mistake of thinking that he was his own source, that he had to kind of make it happen, that he had to please the people. After all, it was the people who had asked for a king, that he had to please them, that they would be glad that he had been chosen. And I know this, I'm gonna prove it to you because we see that when it gets announced to 
the Israelites, hey, God has answered your cry. He's given you a king. What should have happened is that Saul would have been standing there handsome and tall, but instead he's nowhere to be found. And finally they find him hiding in the baggage, it says. In other words, Saul was intimidated. He knew that God chose him. He had an experience with God, but he was hiding in that moment where he should have taken his rightful place because he was intimidated. I, I know this again because later on, as we read through the life of Saul, we see in uh, 1 Samuel 13 that the Philistines were coming to fight the Israelites and it wasn't looking good. So this was, was, uh, would have been King Saul's first real battle as the king of Israel. And they're coming after them. The people are hiding in caves. They're hiding in wells. They're running for their lives, basically. And Samuel, again, the prophet at the time, had told Saul, hey, wait in Gilgal for seven days. And when I come, I'm going to give the burnt offering and we will get the plan of God for this battle. But uh, instead, what happens is Saul does wait the seven days. And finally, on the seventh day, it says that the people started to scatter from him. And he decided, I'm going to do this offering. And so we see this. I'm going to read it to you. If you have your Bible, you're welcome to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 13. I'm going to pick up in verse 11. So this is where King Saul notices the people are scattering from him. Samuel isn't there yet. And he's starting to worry. And so he gives the burnt offering himself, which he should not have done. And in verse 11, it says, Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Mishmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and I offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. So then in 1 Samuel 15, so not long after this, there's kind of a final thing that happens with King Saul that shows us that he was depending on himself as his source. So we see that Saul has defeated the Amalekites. He's gone to war again. And the instruction from God was to kill everything in sight. In other words, a lot of times when, when people would go into battle in, in those days, they would take the spoil from the people that they had defeated. But God's instruction was clear. I want you to get rid of everything. Don't leave anything alive. Don't take any of the spoil. But instead what happened in 1 Samuel 15 is that Saul decided he would let the people take the best of the cattle, the sheep and the oxen as a sacrifice to God. So we pick up in 1 Samuel 15, verses 17 through 19. And Samuel said, so Samuel comes on the scene, realizes that Saul has done this. And he says, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? 
And then he goes on to say, don't you know that to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams? For rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Down in verse 24, we see Saul's response to what Samuel has said. He says, I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. You see, when you are dependent on yourself, you're not able to listen to what God is saying and to obey him because the voice of the people, you wanna please people more than God. That is a symbol of arrogance in scripture. But when you hear that, maybe you think like me, like I don't think of Saul as an arrogant man. You know, I, when I think of an arrogant man, I think of someone who's always boasting and bragging about himself or putting people down. We don't see that in Saul, but we see we do see someone who actually treats himself like he's not good enough, like hiding in the baggage. And even Samuel says, you're small in your own eyes, but God has made you king. So we don't think of Saul as being arrogant, but actually he was in the sense that he was trying so hard in his own strength to do something that God had asked him to do. Now, I wanna juxtapose Saul with David. So we first meet David when Samuel is looking for the new king. So we know Saul has been rejected as king and God sends uh, Samuel to David's house, but David is not even there because David's dad doesn't even think to ask David in from the field. Um, he's out tending the sheep, but shows Samuel all of his sons. And one by one, they go and, and, and Samuel's like, God, are any of these them? And God says, don't look at the outward appearance. I look at the heart. And finally, Samuel says, do you have any other sons? Because none of these are God's chosen one. And David comes in from the field. You may know the story. And God appoints him to be the king. Remember, God is looking for those whose heart are full, is fully his. And then we see, as even Justin referenced last week, when David is sent to bring 10 wheels of cheese to his brothers down at the battlefield. And here David is, shows up on the scene and sees that Goliath is coming out every day, this tall, huge man, and is trying to get someone to fight him. Basically, he's intimidating the children of Israel. And David, instead of shrinking back in fear like everybody else, he says, who is this Philistine who's actually defying the armies of the living God? Does he not know who he's up against? What a response of faith. But the thing about David is he didn't think that he was the answer. He didn't think that he had what it took. He realized he was just a young boy who probably had no business fighting Goliath, but he did realize who his God was which gave him the strength and the tenacity and the boldness to face the Philistines. In fact, David's brother actually thought he was arrogant. And they said, who do you think you are coming up here like this? And I, I mean, I would have been reacting the same way. Like really, my kid brother showing up on the scene and acting like we're all chicken for not fighting Goliath. But David was willing to do that because he recognized who his God was and he was living from a dependence on God. Arrogance and humility sometimes show up in very obvious ways, but often like in the case of, of Saul and of David, we don't even 
really key in to what does it mean to be arrogant and what does it mean to walk in humility? Humility is not walking with your head hanging low. Woe is me, I can't do anything. Humility is recognizing without him, I can do nothing, but with him, I can do anything. So what does all of this have to do with 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter? You can try all you want to be loving, to be patient, to be kind, to not be jealous, to not envy, to not be arrogant or not be rude. You can try and try and probably go pretty far with that. But eventually you're not gonna be able to do it on your own unless you're doing it from a place of receiving God's love. You can't give away what you don't have. If you haven't received God's unconditional love for you, you're not able to give it away. The only way to love well and step into the purpose and the plan that God has for you is to live fully dependent on God from a place of humility, that God, without you, I'm nothing, but with you, I can do anything. And that is God's invitation to us. His first invitation is to accept the free gift of grace that he purchased for us on the cross. And then the second invitation is for us to give him our whole lives. As Luke 9, 23 says, if anyone wishes to follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. If you're like me, I like the idea of following God. I like the fruit of what that would look like, but the denying myself part and taking up my cross, which means identifying with the suffering that Jesus experienced, that part, I don't know. I care too much what people think probably. I want people's approval more. I want what others have more, but the invitation still stands. Will you follow me? Not trying to be more loving or trying to not be envious, envious or trying to not be arrogant, even as Justin commented last week, if, if this is our report card of what it looks like to be loving and we're just trying so hard to get the grade, get the grade, get the grade, we're falling short. Instead, this is what Jesus' example to us is. This is how he loves us. And as we receive his love and understand that without him, we can do nothing, and it's only through him that we can do anything worthwhile, that is the ticket. That is when we start to tap into something that's beyond our own ability to love, our own ability to not be arrogant or rude. I don't know about you, but when people cross a line, it's hard not to be rude. When people make you angry, it is hard to not just make a snarky comment back, especially on social media where there's zero accountability for that. You don't even have to see someone's face. You can just like write it and walk away, right? It's real easy to be rude. It's really easy to be arrogant and just rely on yourself and, and, and take the glory for what you do. But when we receive the actual unconditional love of God and recognize that without him, we can do nothing, but with him, we can do anything. That's when we start to see transformation. That's when we start to see the power of God unleashed in our lives. And so church, as we wrap up, I just wanna pray over us that we would be able to um, receive God's love for us this morning. So would you just pray with me? God, we're so grateful for your word. We're so grateful for the promise of heaven, the invitation from heaven to each one of us that we get to walk in relationship with you. 
God, we recognize that being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus is not just about looking a certain part or trying to attain a certain level of report card in terms of morality or things we do or don't do, but it's all about relationship with you. It's about recognizing that we are nothing and you are everything. God, would you help us this week to live lives that are fully dependent on you? Instead of just trying to not be arrogant and trying to not be rude, that we would um, walk humbly with you, recognizing that you're our source for everything. I'm mindful right now of people who are listening to this who have, you have big giants in your way. You have um, health diagnoses and financial problems and relational issues. Maybe you're battling anxiety and depression and Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're bigger than all of that and that you want to set people free and that you want to show yourself powerful in every single life. God, thank you that, that you care about what's going on in our lives. So I just pray blessing over every life listening to this today. God, we want to grow closer in our walk with you, closer in our relationship with you. And it starts with accepting the invitation to follow you, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow you every single day. Help us to walk humbly with you. And as we do that, I thank you that the outpouring of love to people around us is going to be so much more than we could ever do on our own. In Jesus' name we agree, amen. Amen. I just wanna close with a quick benediction as we wrap up. Thank you so much for, again, for tuning in and sharing this time together today. May we be people who, like David, walk confidently and humbly, fully dependent on God, May we know that he really is our source. Without him, we can do nothing. And with him, we can do whatever he puts in front of us. And may we remember that with Jesus, it only gets better.